everyone, and welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we are having a special interview with Katie, who is a long-distance caretaker for her brother who deals with mental illness. Katie talks all about the ways that she makes this happen, from meal delivery service, to friends, to telecommuting, to the joys of a tight community in a small town. Please listen all the way to the end for Katie's very wise and incredible advice of what not to do and what to do if you suddenly find yourself in the role as a caretaker. A huge shout out, by the way, to all of you who have caretaking as part of your life. I know I would never be able to survive or even do things like this show without the amazing support of my mom, my husband, and all the people who helped take care of me. So big thank you. And please share this interview with any caretakers that you know or caregivers that you know. Yourself? <laughs> sure. So my name is Katie Carney, and right now I run a rescue called Kitten 911, so I spend the vast majority of my time finding, caring for, raising, rehoming, rehabbing uh, baby kittens. But I also, I have a background in PR and marketing, did that for a lot of years. And on a personal front, I have a brother who is mentally ill. Um, He was diagnosed when we were both kids. And he has multiple diagnoses, but basically major depression as well as Uh, some hints of bipolar disorder but very much obsessive compulsive and the combination of those things ends up being such that he he can function pretty highly but needs a lot of supervision and care and he is two years younger than I am so he is 48 (laughs) (laughs) the math is never fun to do exactly um and lives by his by himself in our family home in Massachusetts uh, while I'm here in California, but uh, and does pretty well for himself, but he has lots of support and a ton of what is now normal but was quite unexpected support from me here. Um, he lived with my parents until they both passed. Uh, my dad most recently, three years ago, my mom almost 10 years ago now, and so therefore it was me, up to me. We're the only two kids, and so I'm the caretaker. So how old were you when he was diagnosed? I think officially he was first diagnosed with, because this is back in the 70s, so he was diagnosed with learning disabilities. Okay. And he was in, like, special ed classes. It wasn't really looked at as, oh, he might be mentally ill or, you know, obsessive compulsive or all this stuff. That happened when I was just about ready to leave for college. So I was, like, 16, 17. 16, really. I turned 17 at college. So, and he, you know, he would do things. I laugh because it's it's sort of a funny memory that as a kid, he couldn't stand to be outside. He loved being outside, but he couldn't stand to be outside without coming back in and changing clothes because he'd been outside. Literally, he would step outside to see what the weather was or go get the newspaper for my dad or whatever and come back in and change his clothes because he'd gotten dirty. Wow. And he... <laughs> You know, our relatives used to, you know, they give you a dollar in your Christmas cards or whatever. So he thought paper money was dirty, but metal money was okay. So, you know, naturally I traded him all his dollars for my nickels. Well, well. (laughs) So at least you're coming close to that now. (laughs) That's completely horrible. Um, And, you know, my mom was a nurse. She was an RN. So, you know, I don't really remember as a little kid. I just remember him having odd habits. I don't remember him being talked about as sick or ill or he just had kind of some quirky habits and he was in special ed he was a little bit dyslexic so he had some problems reading he doesn't I mean that's long since passed he loves to read now and he's super super smart 
like unbelievably intelligent and did these great, you know, drawings of ships and planes and these line drawings. So we just thought, I just thought, I should say, I'm not quite sure what my parents were thinking. Oh, well, you know, he's got, got a few odd habits like not liking paper money. Oh, I'll just keep that for you. <laughs> I can handle that. Yeah, yeah so, um, but then his behavior started to get worse, probably because it wasn't treated or diagnosed. He wasn't on any meds until, again, until right before I left for college, and he started to have anger issues. So... When I remember very clearly one time I was standing on our back porch and there's a sort of a glass door between the porch and the kitchen and he got so mad at something and I'm sure I was probably teasing him. It was normal brother-sister stuff. I mean, I wasn't torturous of him or anything. But, um, you know, he was my little brother. I had to torture him sometimes. <laughs> um, and he threw a pitcher through the glass door at me and shattered the door and I, you know, had glass on me and stuff. I didn't get very seriously hurt. And in fact, I probably wasn't hurt very much at all. But... I remember that being a sort of a turning point. And then once or twice, he had become very tall. Later in life, he also put on quite a bit of weight. He was still just a kind of a tall, gangly kid then. And they had to call the EMTs once or twice. I think twice. And I, you know, being my typical self-involved 17-year-old getting ready to go to college, I wasn't super focused on my brother. I just thought, oh, something's going on. And then I went off to college. So the anger stuff is, I, I have an only child, so I have like, I, I don't even know what's normal or not oh, normal okay. siblings. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always shocked when I hear people talk about the stuff that they pulled with oh, their brothers yeah. and sisters. Oh my God. Some of it's horrible. It's great and horrible all the same it, time. It really just baffles me. I was raised like yeah. almost out in the country too. So I really didn't even have a lot of kids around me sure. when I was growing up. So oh, this wow. whole, like all of this, like fighting and stuff, it, yeah. it sounds scary to me. Like if I had like a man, like it sounded like he was man sized throwing something at me, I I don't know how it handled it. Did that change yeah. your relationship at all? Or is that more like stuff that I don't understand about brothers and sisters? No. Well, you know, when we were little, we were the bestest buddies. Um, but Michael was always an introvert and always shy. So I had a ton of friends as we got older, you know, school age, basically. I had a ton of social interactions and friends. I always had friends over at the house. I was friends with the little kids in the neighborhood. My girlfriends would come over and we'd play Barbies in the porch and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Whereas he didn't really have that. <clears throat> so I was always super social. And as I got older, my focus was much more external. But in terms of like, we were buddies. I mean, we did everything. And our family was also a little bit insular. We have a ton of relatives, but we were on the East Coast and our relatives were all back in the Midwest. My mom did not get along with my dad's family, so we saw them rarely, if ever. Um, And she herself was an only child. So we had grandparents who died when I was in about fourth grade, but not a lot of cousins or whatever on that side. So we were very insular. It was the four of us. So we didn't have... Brothers and sisters often also have sort of a cast of secondary family characters. You've got cousins and whatever around. We didn't have any of that. So we were very, very close and still are, but there was a long period of time... <clears throat> and really it had much more to do with me leaving home and separating from my parents. And my brother was sort of naturally a part of my parents and stayed that way. Okay. Because he didn't leave home and go to college and have an independent life. So we never got to know each other as adults. He was always my little brother and always at home with my parents. Okay. Until, you know, until my mom passed and then he was at home with my dad. And then my dad passed and now... Only in the last couple of years have my brother and I really gotten to know each other as adults. But as kids, yeah, you know, we did everything. We 
played games and hung out and went places and we fought, you know, but our fights were not physical. They were, you know, we'd both be in the backseat of the car and I'd be like, all right, I'm trying to lie. Don't, you know, don't put your hand over this line in the back there. And so I put my hand right on the line and, you know, stick my pinky over it. It was like little pokey, like poke, 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 poke. And then one of you would yell at the other and then mom and dad would intervene. Don't make me come back there. You know, so they were more like little psychological torturing things. What very quickly happened, though, when I was about mm, 13 or 14, so early high school, my brother got taller than I was. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden (laughs) he would, I, I want the TV controller. No, I want the TV controller. And he would literally pick me up and move me. That's, that's kind of adorable. And I was like, oh, crap. Um, you know, I think boys who have brothers are more horrible to each other. Like boys just get oh god, I I spit on each other and do all that stuff. We never did really any of that. I mean, we our fights were more verbal, calling names, and I'm gonna sit on this side. And oh, (laughs) as a kid, we were famous for fighting over desserts and who got the usual amount. That was our key. You got more than the usual amount. And if he was very focused on details, he would he would probably have a yeah. or memory thing there yeah. of knowing yeah. how far it went. So for I'm really interested in this aspect of it. My friend's mm. um, brother has a very high level autism, uh-huh. and the violence and anger stuff isn't things he can control. How did your brother learn how to control his anger as he got bigger? Where that's becoming a problem. You know, I think the anger for him isn't really a part of his disease. It's okay. not so much a part of his illness. It's not like in autism that is almost a part of autism. Um he tends to be tends to be more shut down rather than anger. It's only very rarely does do his illnesses go outward. They're mostly inward. He'll shut down, he'll stay in bed, he'll just be depressed. Um it takes a lot it to go outward and so he didn't so much have to control that as he almost kind of grew out of it because the only times he ever got violently angry they were all at me (laughs) because because I basically (laughs) I poke I mean I poke the bear in the cage (laughs) I always have brother friends whatever relationships I, I poke the bear in the cage I cannot leave it alone if there is a poke to be poked I will poke it and so and, and I'm also, I, I'm kind of a control freak, so things have to be my way, and da, da, da. And as I grew up, that sort of didn't change. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I tend to try to control that and realize in polite company, can't always be my way. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's my little brother. I'm like, you're going to do it this way. No, I'm not. You're an asshole. No, you're not. Da, da, da. And uh, it just would go back and forth until finally, like one Christmas, oh, probably, gosh, my dad was still alive, but my mom was gone. So maybe maybe six or eight years ago, he sat on me. Well, he weighs almost 300 pounds. Wow. And my dad had to pull him off because he didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't yelling. He just put me on the ground and sat on my chest. And unfortunately, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. You know, so it was very scary. But he he, he wasn't violent about it at all. He's just like, I'm going to shut you up now. <laughs> this he's is like, my silent protest. Now. I'm going to sit on you. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> So he hasn't been violently angry like that for quite a long time. Okay. Kind of the same way that I don't get so violently angry as I did when I was a teenager either, you know. That's hard to pull apart, too. As a teenager is very passionate with a lot of energy behind it. Yeah. And so, and and he tends to have the emotional state of a slightly more mature teenager now. 
So now, often my friends have said, wow, it's like you have a teenager to take care of. Because emotionally, his responses to things are very teen-like. Partly because he never moved out from my parents. That dynamic never changed for him. He's never, until the last few years, he never lived on his own. Never paid his own bills, rent, drove a car, and had a small part-time job. But parents managed money, bills, everything. So he never moved out of that mode. So occasionally he'll still get angry but as an almost 50 year old adult now he does have the maturity and the intelligence he's not at all retarded he's just mentally ill so he has the intelligence to know I'm getting angry I need to leave I need to not talk about this anymore I just don't want to talk about this anymore that's more his response now is to go away so how do you deal with all this um, because I, I think I remember you saying that you had to handle things with the house and you're yeah. a country away. Yeah. How do you handle you know, the need to control and possibly needed to control yeah. being this far from where this is all happening? How's that That's the biggest work for challenge. you? It's, it's exhausting. That's the biggest challenge. Um, I have thought dozens of times, sometimes on a daily basis of moving, of moving back or moving him uh, because we are on opposite sides of the country. Uh, me having moved here for great career and other reasons, but also the farther away I was from my mom, we had a very volatile relationship for many years. The better. I was like, yes, California, that's as far as <laughs> Go until yeah, there's yeah. water. <laughs> yeah, I can't go any further. I actually went overseas for a while. But, um, and, and California just ended up being the best place for me. So when my mom passed, <clears throat> and it was just my dad and my brother, and my dad was getting very elderly. He was 80-something when my mom passed. He, he passed himself, and he was almost 87. Um, it kind of became a daily question of who was taking care of whom between my, mm. my brother and my dad. My brother actually did quite well. He drove. He did the physical things my dad couldn't do, mowed the lawn. And, and they were really close. They were buddies. <clears throat> so when I talked to both of their caretakers, my dad was very mentally sound until the very end. Um, so financially he was fine. He was managing the house, taking care of things. So I wasn't particularly needed, but my dad was very wise in that when I would go to visit, we set everything up. We set Uh. up lawyers, we set up caretakers so that when he passed, because, you know, when you're talking to someone who's 80 something, they know they're not going to be around for probably much, much more time, which I never wanted to think about. I was like, no, he's going to (laughs) pass. But we set everything up ahead of time. In terms of caretaking, finances, everything went over into my name, and there were a slew of people involved who were helpers of various kinds, some on health care, some on finances, taxes, housing, all of it. Um, our insurance guy, also I live in a very small town in Massachusetts, which is a wonderful town. Um, our insurance guy is my ex-boyfriend, you know. Wow. The town treasurer is a family friend, so help with taxes. I mean, it's just... The benefits of a really small town in that situation have been phenomenal. My mom was a politician in town. She was a town meeting member. It's New England, so they had a town meeting for a long time. And so she knew everybody. And those relationships have been gold. I mean, our parents' friends, my friends who still live there from childhood, uh, pitch in whenever necessary. You know, Occasionally my brother runs over his bank account. I can't get him money super fast. Oh, I've got to put gas in the car. I've had friends run over and bring him 20 bucks. Wow. I mean, I've had family friends. My parents, two couples who were their best friends, one, the, the husband died, but the wife still lives nearby. And the other is really kind of my second parents, the Dempsey family are, um, 
they're really kind of my second parents. We spend Thanksgiving with them now, and we do things. And I mean, they they keep an eye on Michael. He's can call on them when he needs something. So it really does take a village. And West Springfield, which is Massachusetts, which is the town I'm from, is a village. It's a wonderful village, and I, there are innumerable people who have stepped up, but several really close resources. That said, I've also thrown money at the problem. We have, um, I have a meal delivery service that oh, brings him dinner. So not like like Blue Apron kind of thing. Or? Yeah, Blue Apron would be far too complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's actually like here's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no cooking involved. It's called Mom's Meals. If you don't awesome. know about this service, they're wonderful. It's a national service, and it's made. You can order Mom's Meals as a person who needs meals, or it's designed to be used by caretakers who are ordering meals for people who are, in one way or another, either need assistance or unable to cook for themselves. Wow, and that's like, so we'll, we'll definitely add a link to that in the mm-hmm. show notes they're, because, they're wow. They're wonderful. You can, you can order any kind of like heart-healthy stuff or gluten-free or this or that, and it's a big, wide variety menu, and they deliver however many meals you want, however often you want. Like once a week, they, you know, big box, uh, dry ice, etc. And for a while... <clears throat> We were trying to teach Michael budgeting so he would get his own groceries and make his own food. Oh, boy. That was a complete disaster. Was that like a seven-year-old unsupervised at a birthday party Pretty eating? Much. It was like, okay, well, I, I ate fruit this week. What else did you eat? Well, just fruit. Oh, God. Like, like, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> to be fair, Steve Jobs is saying similar, so. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's like, yeah. So, and, you know, I'd be like, what did you eat for vegetables? I don't know. I had some frozen beans. Oh, okay. So he actually does very, very well shopping. Um and not so well actually then taking that stuff and making it into like a meal so he does fine with breakfast and lunches because you know that's pretty easy some cereal some eggs some sandwiches whatever and he also was in a day program for a while which has has changed but it was a sort of a therapeutic environment as well as sort of activity environment three days a week and he'd pack a lunch to take that but it was dinner time Hmm. coming home there's nothing in the house he was you know it was fast food all the time or whatever could be thrown together. He was very good at, he and my dad were very good at browning beef. Okay. That was a big thing. We're going to put the hamburger in the pan and brown the beef, and then we're going to add some spaghetti sauce and throw it on a bun. Like, yeah, all right. Or or maybe even over spaghetti. Awesome. Very good. Can't really do that seven days a week (laughs) for, like, innumerable months on end. So meal delivery was an issue. He has a daily nurse who comes in the morning who makes sure that he gets his meds. Because on 10 or 11 different meds. Wow. Some of them for physical ailments now because of age, um, uh, liver stuff and kidney stuff and it just there's all kinds of. Physical and does he things. tell you what's wrong with them, or do you have, or do the doctors call and tell you what's going on? So, interestingly, legally, I am not his guardian nor his representative. Okay. Because he has the mental capacity to make those decisions himself, and it was his choice that I am not his legal guardian. My name is on all the financial resources, so essentially I control everything financial, pay the bills, do all that, but his doctors are not allowed to talk to me without his permission unless he's unable. I am his healthcare proxy. Okay. So if he's unable, if he gets put in the hospital for something, if he's declared mentally incompetent, if any of that happens, I can step in. Until that point, 
his doctors share with me only what he will allow, which is pretty much everything. But there are some things he doesn't want me to know. Like, all right, as an adult, I can understand there's certain things. (laughs) Yeah, like he does not want his therapist to talk to me unless it's about a specific issue. Like we were talking about him flying and you know flying on his own. He he had never flown on his own before. Oh wow! So it was a huge thing for him to come out here and visit me. And I said, if we're gonna keep this situation the way it is, and you're gonna live there and I'm gonna live here. You've got to be able to fly because I the first year, I I earned so many points. I was uh, the top tier on Southwest because wow. I flew literally like every other week. I was flying back east, fly, fly, fly. And what did it do with your job and your own finances to fly back? So my much? own finances suffered a bit, but when my dad passed, he left finances to take care of okay. me. My dad was very middle class, an engineer his whole life. He put away a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. I almost had a heart attack out of sheer joy when I found out how he had invested when he passed away. He he left us a huge sum of money. So enough to keep your brother okay mm-hmm. and to Forever. give you enough to like take care of your brother. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we manage it carefully, that is what my brother will live on. Wow. In addition to government assistance, he is disabled, so he does get a government check every month. And that's that's enough for his basic needs. Um, but money for him to be able to come see me, for me to go see him, for extras. The dishwasher broke down, so we need a new one. You know, just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, my dad left resources, property taxes on the house. That stuff um, is all taken care of but by a trust that my dad left, which I had no idea until about a year before he died that it was going to be a pretty substantial sum of money. And he just, it was amazing to me. I mean, he put away a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. God, what a gift. Every month for like 40 years. And aside from the financial side, what does that do for your, your job? I, I know you as being like the kitten lady because <laughs> um, for anyone listening, my cats come from Katie. She Yay. is so mean and brings the cutest little kittens over going, I just wanted you to like take a picture of them. Yeah. Blink, blink, blink. Wouldn't this look cute in your house? <laughs> so we end up with kittens like because of her. Were you doing something other than the kitten rescue at the I time? I was. So I had PR jobs for a long time. Um, but in 2004, so significantly well before my mom passed or my dad, um, I started my own business. And the beauty of that is I don't have to ask anybody <laughs> to take vacation or to travel. And I've always done businesses or had contracts and jobs that could pretty much be done from everywhere. Okay. I was, <laughs> I was an unintentional pioneer in the <laughs> work at home movement because I just did. Um, when all of this started to go down really when my so when my mom my mom passed in 2005 and I was working as a PR consultant and I had a 30 hour a week client who took most of my time who completely understood I've always had wonderful employers and they've completely understood that you know hey if I need to go I need to go but I'm in touch there's cell phones and computers and if there weren't those things if this had been you know 40 years ago or so I'd be hosed. I would definitely have had to move or whatever, but, um, and find a new job or be right next door. But I basically what I do, you can do from anywhere. The kitten thing has been that I have so many kittens that I run a rescue has been only the last couple of years. I was working either for humane societies or other jobs. I was working at UC Davis. In fact, while my dad was getting very ill and when he passed and I've, I think I might have told you this before, but I've often said 2013 was a pivotal year in that um, I, I lost my job because the grant that I was working at at UC Davis ended and they wanted to get rid of me anyway. That was a whole other story. But uh, so 
I lost my job. My, my car was totaled. Um, my dad passed away. And my boyfriend broke up with me of, of two years. Oncoming so, storm. Yeah, and, and that all happened between September and November of 2013. Jeez. I had a really bad 60 days. Was that just like the covers over the it head was, curl it, up in I, bed? And... It, exactly. But the thing was, and I was, I was in the blessings that occurred there were that I lost my job. So I decided to retreat and go back east and visit my dad and my brother for an extended period of time. I was going to go, usually I go for a couple days. And I said, well, I'll come visit for about two weeks. That was my dad's last two weeks. Jeez. Totally unplanned. He hadn't been ill. I had just decided to go. We did everything. We went and looked at the fall colors in New England. We mm. went and had ice cream, even though he's not supposed to eat ice cream. Yeah. You know, we just we just did all sorts of fun things. And the day I was supposed to leave, um, he said, you know, I'm not feeling so well. <clears throat> I'm having some chest pains and things. So we took him to the emergency room, and 10 days later, he died. Because he, he, he ended up having um, heart failure. And... But I spent, because I lost my job, which I was like, oh, you know, desperate and drama over, like, what am I going to do? Um, I spent those last, his last two weeks with him. Wow. And I hadn't spent that much time with him in years. Uh, and I was there, like, when it all happened, and my brother was there, and he helped me pick out a new car, um, left the money to get that car, you know, so and my friends back here pitched in like crazy took care of everything I like to tell I had a roommate at the time <clears throat> I was living in the same house I'm living in now but we were renting I eventually bought the house but I said you know thank god that she took care of all the cats well wow. while I was away she just fed them you have did... how many cats on a general basis on a general you're... basis I have roughly 15 to 20 animals in the house that have medical needs and most of them yeah um, most of the cats that I've kept who are my personal cats I've kept because they are either very difficult or unadoptable because they're just got to have, you know, one eye and three legs and skin conditions and <coughs> whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. And then also the kittens. So she kept that going. But the amazing thing that came out of all of that, so I'd been working at Davis full time. Um, it no longer had that. So, and my dad left this pile of money. So I, I did live on that very, for, I mean, I didn't, you know, buy yachts or cruise around the world, but I, I lived on that, paid my basic bills, and it was a blessing because I didn't have the pressure to immediately go find another nine to five job. And oh my gosh, you got to have a salary and you got to do this. So I was able to, that's why I racked up all those miles. I was able to travel back and hmm. forth to see my brother as often as needed. And that was a very tumultuous transitional year. He died in November of 2013. So 2014 was, it was just a mess. I mean, it was a huge transition. We were trying to figure out what was my brother going to do all day? Was he going to stay there? Was I going to go here? How are we? We had the financial and the healthcare things in place, but it was like creating a new normal. All right, so is the nurse coming once a day enough? How's he going to cook? Is he going to make his own groceries? Where is he going to every single little aspect of his life and therefore mine were up in the air and my life was up in the air and that what what am I going to do so because I was traveling back and forth so much I decided to just volunteer and I started volunteering at Berkeley Humane with uh, the vet that I know and love who was the medical director there and she's like sure come and volunteer I thought well at least I'll keep my skills up and mm. do something I love my dad and I had had long talks so he was like you know you really need to do something you love and I like PR. It's great. I'm a talker. Duh. <laughs> um, and so it was fun. But I love animals. And I had never, I didn't go to school to be a vet. 
And so I'd never really thought, well, I could just do this full time. And volunteering at Berkeley and I could travel as much as I needed to, they ended up offering me a paid position part time. And a bunch of people there asked me once they had adopted animals, could I cat sit? Uh, They're going away here and there. And some of them had medical needs. So over the course of that year, I also, my best friend Kristen was working in children's television and production of shows and asked me if I would help her do some PR with that. Would I go to a couple conferences with her? And so now I have a co-production company with her and we are producing those. I have a cat sitting business. That's what I primarily do. And I'm raising kittens, all of which I love Mm -hmm. and could not have done if all of that drama and horrible stuff hadn't happened all of which are incredibly flexible enough that I can do whatever I need to do. I can be on the East Coast tomorrow if I need to be. I've got backups for my backups. I have people who will cat sit the cats and the kittens in my care. The production work can be done from anywhere. And, you know, the PR stuff that I'm doing, I do still have a few PR clients because they pay really well. (laughs) Um, It can also be done from anywhere. So I have a very non-traditional life in terms of structure um but it works and it's great and I do everything I love some of the scut work I don't particularly love but it's part (laughs) of what I love and I can travel as often as I need to and then over the three years that that's been growing now since 2014 we've also worked on my brother becoming more independent so he can fly by himself and he does now that was a huge deal all of his therapists called me and said it's too much for him he can't fly, it's, and he will, when something new happens, not good with new. Oh. (laughs) Routine is excellent, new, not so good, not so much. And flying by himself was new. I hired a driver to pick him up at home, take him to the airport, check him in. He basically literally just had to like walk on the plane and I was there at the other end. Flew nonstop flights, no changing, nothing. It was still, he vacillated back and forth. I can't do it, I'm not gonna come. Okay, call me back a day later. Okay, you're right, I can do it. <laughs> he went back and forth. His therapist called me. He's very stressed about this. We don't think you should pressure him. I'm like, I'm not pressuring him. Mm-hmm. He wants to spend the holiday here. <clears throat> I, I was flying back for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then he really wanted to come here, and I thought, okay, well, that's great, because especially with running a pet-sitting business, it's my busiest time. Oh, gosh, yeah, I didn't even thought about that. So I, I would prefer, if I had to, I'd find backups and go, but... I do that at Thanksgiving, and I'm like, he, he should come here. He wanted to come, wants to go to Tahoe. I would really like to see Lake Tahoe. I'd really like to come visit you, in theory. And then when it came down to the practicality of it, it took about six months for him to really, it took a lot of making the reservations and canceling them and remaking them, that he finally got here. And once he got here, he now, that was his first time he visited, it was two years ago, he doesn't remember that he was scared or anxious about it at all. And the interesting thing was, for me, as I said, his his caretakers were calling me saying he couldn't do it. And I said, I, I think he can. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we know him really well. I'm like, yeah, I've known him his whole life. <laughs> and at some point, you have to talk to doctors and therapists. And yes, they, they look at it from a professional point of view. I look at it as a sister mm-hmm. who's known him his whole life and knows how much Christmas means to him and how much he wants to be here. And I go, yeah, he can do it. He, he can. And there are people who are in a lot worse shape than my brother who would do a lot more. He, um, I even talked to his therapist quite at length about this. He had a lot of what they call learned helplessness. 
because my parents did a lot for him. Wow. Even though he was able to do more. So then he came, and his biggest fears, this is where it was a learning curve for me. And again, kind of exhausting. I assumed he was, you know, like I am scared of flying, of the actual, like, act of flying, or, oh, the busy airport, and, oh, it's going to be... Nope, that was not what he was afraid of. He's a big guy who was afraid of being embarrassed, not being able to fit in the seat. Oh. And he wouldn't... It took literally a year, well, six months, before he would voice these concerns. Wow. And he was afraid of being stuck sitting next to someone who would talk to him and he didn't like them. Those were okay, his... I have that fear too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We all kind of do that one. But, and, but he didn't tell anyone, including his therapists, me, anyone, that that's what he was afraid of. Wow. So we were like, it's going to be okay. You can handle the airport. I'll have someone drive you. I was addressing these fears that weren't fears. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make him feel any better. And not until we really sat down and I said, what do you think it's really going to be like, step by step? Those fears came out and I said, okay, first of all, the seats are definitely big enough for you. If you feel more comfortable, we'll buy the seat next to you. He's not that big. It's Mm -hmm. just a a kind of irrational fear. And I said, and you can also ask for a seat belt extender. You can? Oh my gosh, I didn't even know. And I said, and why don't you, we're going to get you a Walkman. It was an iPod, but he calls it a Walkman. Um... And a set of children headphones. Children of the 80s, yes. They were children of the 80s, exactly. And a set of headphones, and you can put those on and read a book, and you won't have to talk to anyone if you don't want to. When he arrived, he's like, oh my God, I had the best seat, and I looked out the window, and this lady next to me talked to me the whole time, and, and she, she said, oh, your brother's just a delight. He Aww. chatted the whole entire time. <laughs> and he, he, to this day, <clears throat> he doesn't remember being so anxious. When he overcomes something like that, he it instantly becomes no big deal. He's like, I can't believe I was ever afraid of this. Much like anyone. Yeah. You know, you're super scared of something, you do it, and you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. That's just crossing that line. it's a huge deal ahead of time. And I spent hours on the phone with him, making reservations, canceling them, talking to him, talking to his therapist. So that's where, like, the fatigue comes in for me. And then he gets here, and I'm like, oh. I'm, I'm already exhausted, and he's like, yay, this is great. So, you know, sometimes that kind of disconnect thing happens. But over the past three years, there have been a, a huge set of things like that that are new for him that he never did before that you and I just take for granted. Um, he got in a little fender bender the other day, backed up into a shed on church property. Thank God, church people, they were super nice. Oh, they were super nice. And... I said, all right, well, you know who our insurance agent is? Call him. Really? Well, how do I do that? Pick up the phone and call him. So a lot of times it's me step-by-step guiding him Mm -hmm. to be more independent. Meanwhile, I called him too. (laughs) I said, said, okay, Michael's going to call you. Like, I want him to handle this on his own. Okay. He's my ex-boyfriend. He's a wonderful guy. So, and again, small town, family friend, awesome. So he's got a really supportive atmosphere, but... I'm in the background backstopping everything he does. Mm-hmm. Even the things he does, quote, independently, I do backstop. And that is somewhat exhausting. So from what I understand, you're are you handling his finances yeah. still and all the... You're basically handling two households. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How in the hell do you manage two households while taking care of kittens and running <clears throat> two businesses? And <laughs> and also you're trying to get a, um, your show produced yeah, yeah. for Kitten 911, a yep. reality TV show. So... Yep. How like on earth busy. are you doing? <laughs> you like being busy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I do too, but there's, I, I, I get dizzy when you start telling me everything yeah. you're handling. Well, the, 
the household needs in Massachusetts are pretty straightforward. Okay. And I am learning to offload some of that to Michael. Um, and he just calls me when he needs me. But most of it is very automated. So the cable bill and the electric bill and the water bill and all that stuff is online and automatic withdrawals from the money that my dad left. So that's kind of on a, you know, I don't even have to really think about that okay. unless something goes awry, which every once in a while it does. But um, I have I have said to people, essentially, there's about a crisis a month. Mm-hmm. You know, I get a call. And when my brother calls me, we have agreed upon times to call. He calls once midweek and once on Sundays for sure. Like, if, okay. if nothing else. Check-in. Those are, those are our two standard check-ins. Um, so if he calls at a moment outside that and I see my phone ring, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened? You know, and sometimes it's just to chat or say hi. But most often it's because, you know, uh... I put a bunch of, you know, grape stems down the disposer, and now it doesn't work. I ran into a shed. (laughs) You know, I had a little fender bender. I'm okay. Are you okay? Yes. Is the car okay? Well, not really. (laughs) So there is kind of a crisis a month, but it's not every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the things are kind of automated, and, and it's fairly easy. Like, the grass gets cut because we've got a guy who comes every month. I mean, I've... It took a while. I was insane. I mean, mind you, when, when my dad first passed and I first took on these responsibilities, I didn't have as many kittens at the house. I had a roommate at the house. So household chores and, you know, just taking care of my cat, that was covered when needed. Um, really, only the last two years has it been <laughs> slightly insane with trying to start a new venture. Um, I, I've had to throw in the towel lately and say I'm overwhelmed and I need help. And so I've hired people. I hired people to clean my house. I never hired anyone to clean my house. I was like, no, God no. (laughs) Like, I'm the type of person that will clean before the cleaners come because I'm embarrassed my house is dirty. Are you serious? You're that person? I'm that person. (laughs) And I have a million animals. And I'm like, really? I I was like, I want to have a cleaner come, but I'm embarrassed that my house is this dirty. I need to clean it before the cleaners come. Like, I'll let the cleaners do, like, some stuff. Like, they can dust and vacuum. I had, I just went, F it. Yeah, I got it. Somebody's got you can swear. I swear oh, okay. all the time on this podcast. Like part of like the tenant of this podcast is like the backbone of this podcast okay, is the good. word fuck. I mean, excellent. So I said fuck it. I you know, I've just got to get somebody in to clean the house. Um, and so how did you let like, yeah. go of that? Is I'm really curious how like, I sat and cried. Yeah, I sat and, many times, many several times. I I just. Most days it's very manageable because all of those things you mentioned don't all happen on the same day. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they do. So, like, <laughs> for those me, days like, are does it happen awful. on the same day? It's like, what's what's playing in the back of your mind? Like, what's the record in the back mm-hmm. of your mind while you're working? It's like, because my dad's been very sick. Mm-hmm. And when he was really sick, like, please do not call me after 9 p.m. sick because I will have a panic attack. It was... Um, it was always playing in the back of my mind. Yeah. I might get a call. I might get yeah. a call. I might have to run to the ER. I might have to run to the ICU. Yep. And so, that, that like, plays. yeah, I was wondering yeah. if that's that way for you. Yes. If that's Yeah. Always in the back of my mind is what's going on with my brother. I mean, there are hours, sometimes even a day or two, that I don't think about it. But it is, it's always there. It's always in the back of my mind. I've talked to my own therapist about it, where she's like, you know, you really handle enormous pressure. And I'm like, I do? She goes... Well, yeah, tell me about what you think about on a daily basis. I'm like, well, I think about what i got to get done that day and to know what my brother's doing. She goes, there you go. She goes, a lot of people don't have that mm-hmm. thing in the back of their mind, but, but most of us do. It might not be caretaking for somebody, but 
maybe it's the mortgage on the house or the thing or we've all sort of got this thing where we're doing what we're doing in space and time in the present moment we're doing our jobs we're feeding a kitten we're doing whatever but there's stuff and you know I've done a lot of work on myself to to try to be better about self-care yeah and I was going to touch on that with you what are your self-care oh I'm so horrible at it (laughs) I you know so I actually had to stop thinking I had to do everything myself. I, okay, no, me, as a mother, I need help. you to walk me through that. How does that work where you decide you can't do everything yourself? Because because I sat in my house one day and it was a mess. It was just a dirty mess. There's cat poop on the floor and the windows were dirty and I couldn't I couldn't sit on my couch because the cat had peed on the couch and I hadn't had time to clean it and you know the usable space in my house kept getting squeezed down. I can't sit there. I can't sit. And I just sat and cried. And I said, I can't do it. And my brother was on the phone because <laughs> I hope he never listens to this, but his toenails had grown so horribly. I had to go to a doctor to like have him manage his feet. And I mean, just weird stuff. You're like, yeah. in your life, you don't grow up going, yeah, someday I'm going to manage someone else's feet. You know? I mean, like, There's a lot that you don't feet. imagine yeah. you're going to be responsible for. <laughs> so, you know, and I just sat there and I said, I'm, I'm not capable of doing this by myself. I'm just, I'm just not. I was in tears and I felt guilty mm-hmm. and I felt ashamed. Um, you know, I talked about my therapist and she said, well, why don't you just go somewhere and not do any of it? And I was like, because this, I was outraged by God. What? What do you mean? It has to get done. Why does it have to get done? Because otherwise it's going to be dirty. Yeah for a day mm-hmm. you know or and then you can get some help oh I can't have anybody look at that it was all about me trying to project this image to whom no idea myself I guess I mean like like anybody's looking but I have this thing that, <laughs> I like, want to I underline to, that last know, statement like, like 20 times looking. I mean like I had to project this image of being in control and my house is perfectly clean I had to be fucking Martha Stewart taking care of my brother and saving kittens and 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 nothing could be wrong and nothing could be dirty and everything had to look perfect. I'm like, I I started to really examine that. I still have trouble with it. I still go, oh my God, I got to do that. I'm like, no, 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 but dial it back, dial it back. And so I started to go to bed even though the kitchen wasn't clean instead of staying up till 2 a.m. and getting up at 6 I st- I, like it was literally that simple people were like well duh you go to bed when you're tired no it is not that simple I never went to bed when I was tired I still practically never go to bed when I'm tired I go to bed when shit is done that's a very different concept and I started to go to bed when I was tired I started to take time in the morning instead of answering my work email immediately even though my phone would be buzzing to make a smoothie and eat something I started to go to Whole Foods and Instead of buying, you know, super premium cat food, I bought some super premium human food. Oh. You know, I mean, I reallocated a little budget. I still take really good care of my cats, but I I just, I'm still working on it. This is definitely a work in progress, and I have a long way to go. I am personally right now on a mission to seek more balance because I am way heavy on the, you know, cats and work and all that stuff side as opposed to self-care, but... I, I literally started by saying, I'm going to go to bed with dishes in the sink. I'm tired. I'm not going to stay up till 2 a.m. to make the house look perfect so that when I wake up at 6, I can start all over again. 
I I started I there's a I have an iPhone so there's a and I, you know here plug for Apple but because um, Apple needs a, more plugs obviously more plugs, but there's a thing on your iPhone it's it's funny I started to I threw technology at it at the problem I I had this little app that like tells you when it's bedtime and it gave a little thing because it was and it's a really pleasant little melody it's not like a big blaring <laughs> alarm it's like do 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 they're like go to bed within the next hour and sleep for seven hours and to, and it tracks your sleep and I found out like when I was waking up and going to sleep I've always had horrible insomnia which is not helped when I have bottle feeder kittens and I have to get up every two hours so when I don't have that <laughs> okay so yeah, people listening um, kittens she yes. gets them like even like a day old yeah, and she has tennis. to be mommy kitten which yeah. is about as exhausting as that sounds they yeah. do wake up then you have to feed them like is it every two hours every when they're five little, minutes? little <clears throat> until they're about two weeks old it's about every two hours two to three hours yeah. and mind you those three hours you might try to go to sleep you still have to make a bottle and warm a bottle so you really you're you're it's about every two hours you sleep with them in a carrier on the bed or next to the bed and you wake up and do it when they get to two to four weeks you can stretch that out to three to four hours and after you've done every two hours that feels like a huge blessing you're like oh my god I can sleep four hours in a row yeah so I would sleep from like you know midnight to four get up feed the kittens but then when you do that then I'm awake yeah and this isn't just like one litter oh no you are doing this at a time yeah and then it's not like this is a baby that grows up for all of us parents who think we understand this (laughs) this is chronic sleeplessness that she has for every kitten season but humans humans do it for like a year no no no, (laughs) i I have a child who didn't sleep for three oh god see that kills me i mean i at least kitten season and yes there is a kitten season is basically like eh, sometimes it's as early as march and april but it's basically like may to August. It's essentially the summer. Yeah. And so I sleep very little in the summer, but I've gotten used to that. But then the thing is, now this time of year when I'm transitioning, my kittens are now pretty much grown. They're all eating on their own. They're Aww. not bottle feeding. They're awesome. But my my brain and body are still in that. Like, I don't sleep through wake the up, night. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Like, wake up, wake up. Yeah. And, and when I wake up, I wake up with a start. Oh, my God, i got to feed the kittens. Oh, no, I go. Oh, <laughs> but it, it's... So sleep and food and exercise, mm-hmm. which are challenges for a lot of people yeah. like for a lot of different reasons. Um, self-care started with those basics, and I'm still working on them. I did a Whole30 where I did a, a Whole Food 30-day diet, and I felt wonderful. And I just I, I made it a priority. I, I started to try to learn how to say no. Mm. Uh, that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just learned to say no. It's not as simple as it sounds, particularly in kitten rescue. There's a, an enormous pressure if you're deep in rescue, you know that if you say no, something may die. Mm-hmm. That creates just an enormous sense of, well, if it's about me getting an extra two hours of sleep or this small creature living, yeah, y- you don't feel like you can say no, even though you probably should because you've got six of them already. I mean, I've had three litters of five at it, where you're feeding 15 kittens every couple hours. And I was like, I, I was insane. I mean, I just, I can't do this. And so I recruited help, got help with that particular issue. But I, I had to learn, you get these desperate pleas. These kittens have nowhere to go. We're going to have to euthanize them if you can't pick them up in two hours. Oh, no pressure there. It, it happens all the time. Jeez. It, it, I would say 80 to 90% of what I do with rescue work is urgent crisis-based stuff. And there's always the factor, if you don't do this, we're not sure, and it's quite likely no one else can. Oh, my God. There, and so that, you know, that's, they talk about compassion fatigue. 
and that is where I've never heard that term before, but oh, that is such yeah. a brilliant term. Oh, you should you, you should check it out. There's all really well written articles. People who are nurses, vet techs, rescue workers, firemen. Wow. You get compassion fatigue because you deal in crisis mode so often, and you have such compassion, it can actually whiplash around on you, and you you hate it all. Oh my gosh! Well, I will, I will link to some of this in, yeah. in the show notes. I'll send you. I'll send you a couple of really. Please good do. Articles. I'll send you the questionnaire, and you can send me some of yeah. your favorite hacks and things. Yeah. Um, yep. So you did have your parents taking care of your brother for a really long yeah. time, and mm-hmm. then your father passing left yeah. you in charge. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's going through this right now? What would you have done differently? What do you wish you had in place? So. The smartest thing we did was have the finances in place so that there wasn't like a who owns this, who can do this. I mean, I was in a position where I was making okay money, but not great. Like I could not have paid the funeral bills and my brother's bill, all that stuff, all flying, trans, all that stuff that I needed to do. While you're grieving as well. While you're grieving. So my dad had put it in place and we had done it together about two years beforehand. And it's difficult because you go and, you know, you're with your parent or whoever you're talking about and you're at lawyers and banks and you're talking about that person not being there so a lot of people put it off don't like have that stuff settled ahead of time and so it was instantly I was made a a co-signer on the credit card the bank accounts were put in my name as well Um, the will everything all of it was just all taken care of ahead of time and that was the smartest thing we did Um, I wouldn't do a whole lot of that differently it really my dad was very good about that and he was also he was very willing to do it I've talked with friends whose parents don't kind of want to face their own mortality oh well we'll do that in a while you know and you you can be run over by a bus I mean I should I've actually now thought about I need to do that because if I do get run over by a bus knock wood god forbid (laughs) um you know there there have to be mechanisms in place that kick in automatically no delay no this will happen in a month okay well we'll see what's going to happen because instantly there are things that need to be taken care of and all of the financial and logistical stuff that happens unless you have it set up ahead of time doesn't happen instantly wills go through probate all you know all this stuff happens and having it preset saved a ton it also um and people say this a lot, it's not particularly novel advice, but I knew exactly what my dad's wishes were. So he was, he was only in the hospital for a week, um, but he was on, you know, pretty heavy care and he was on a breathing machine for a while. Not really an iron lung thing, but just support. And he had been very, very clear. Like we knew what his wishes were about when to turn things off and on and what to do and not do. So that was really critical to not feeling guilty about decisions Mm. that had to be made um the emotional part of it the emotional part of it you're just never prepared I mean there's no preparing for it it's you know it's your parent or your caretaker or whomever even if it's an aunt uncle friend whoever you're close to I, I went into like automatic get it done mode just tasks funeral has to be arranged this has to be done this has to be done this has to be done and it all hit me later yeah. So what I kind of wish I'd done more was stop and pause and let myself feel the sadness then. I mean, I was in tears, but it was more like, it was almost like a panic. Yeah. Rather than 
true sadness. It was like, what am I going to do? Oh my God, you know, this is, you know, no, nobody's going to take care of me. Um, <laughs> you know, and then relatives and whatever, my relatives around have support around. I had amazing friends who took care of things back here. My family, who we'd gotten closer to after my mom died, my dad's side of the family, <clears throat> um, <coughs> excuse me, they rallied around. They were wonderful. So having support, absolutely. Um, I was blessed in that I did not have to go back to work. Like I, like I said, I could take some time, and yeah. that's when I ended up volunteering and starting the business. I was very lucky to have that, but I highly recommend... If you can, if it's possible for you financially or logistically to take some time. Because I was quite sure after both my mom and my dad died, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to move back here. It's going to... Thank God I didn't. You know, it was... Your emotions are guiding absolutely everything, every plan you're Mm. making. So if you don't make any big decisions, (laughs) you know, don't plan to move, don't plan... Even selling the house or anything, you know, depending on... Again, if you are... able to no huge decisions for at least six months because you you go through this vast array of emotions and they all tinge oh my god i'm i I just we got to get rid of this house right now no we don't no no you don't really i'm gonna move no no you're not (laughs) i'm gonna gonna get a new job and it's gonna be here no 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 just how do you know hang on so you need jiminy cricket on your shoulder telling you to just calm the fuck down just calm down and and it's such a cliche, but literally day by day. Sometimes I took it hour by hour. I told you like that. There were other devastating things that had gone yeah. on as well. But, and building back from that, it was not an easy year. But I am in an unbelievably better place. I mean, I would give anything to have my parents back and yeah. alive. But that said, in terms of what I'm doing with my life, my job, my passions, all of it, I'm in a much better place because... I was, I had the luxury of being able to take the time. Granted, a lot of that time was grieving, but you have a shit ton of time to think and really ask yourself what you really want to do. If, if things are going to be torn down and you're going to be devastated, don't just flip back to what you were doing automatically. If you're going to be devastated, you might as well take the time to build back up to what, uh, uh, something you really want. That's you know, fantastic advice. You know, if it's going to all go to shit anyway, <laughs> like, don't think you just have to, like, boomerang right back into what you were doing because it's what you know and That's it feels comfortable. That's who you used to be before it happened. Yeah. Or, and, you know, a lot of us live with what my therapist tends to call normal misery. We don't really, we're not really miserable. It's just kind of normal. Well, we have a job. Yeah, I kind of like my job. It's all right. I like the people. Really? <laughs> You're like, I want to do, I, I, now, I'm like, no, I want to be joyful. I want to wake up every day and say, I love what I'm doing. Do I love having a ton of responsibility and this stuff in the back of my head? No, but I love my brother, and I'm happy to be doing what I can for him and making his life as good as it's possible for it to be, and my life. It's it's a fuck ton to juggle. I mean, it's a lot, but the one thing about devastation is that pff, scorched earth policy, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you've got nothing but space and time to build things up so if your life's going to change drastically make the change worth it that's fantastic thank you so much for coming and talking to me one last question and we're going to go right to my favorite question of the day okay favorite swear word this one favorite swear word oh favorite swear word um fuck ton that's a good one 
I'm going to incorporate that. Things, yes. I, I, I do this mostly for like yes. g- increasing my swear vocabulary because I rely <laughs> not, on one I'm word so much. I'm not particularly <laughs> original. It's just really, really, really the good old F word is pretty much if I'm going to drop that that's you know it's just tried and true. So I, everyone I do swear like a sailor when I get. <laughs> stressed or angry, but it's great. And uh, you know, do sailors really swear all that loud? I, you know. I, I like to think that someone swears more than I do. It, it really holds me together. <laughs> Thank you so much, and everyone, keep an eye out for Katie's new show, Kitten Nine One One, which should hopefully be picked up very soon. Hopefully, we're gonna hope we're gonna hope to film next year and have it out in the fall, but we'll see. Thank you so much for listening this week to Invisible Not Broken. Please remember to share us with a caregiver in your life that you know of who might really appreciate hearing about this. Tune in next week, and until then, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.